0: Hey everyone, welcome to Reality San Francisco's podcast, Sunday edition. Today's teaching is the beginning of a series of sermons where we review and condense past sermon series into one teaching and a week of daily podcasts. Think of it as a crash course or a refresher course to some of the most formative series we've done as a church. To start us off, we will hear from Dale, our executive director, on biblical literacy As you may know, we did a whole year on this topic that you can find on our website. Thank you for listening. I look forward to the rest of the week as we dive into a crash course in biblical literacy. Good morning. It's great to be with you all. I just want to start our time in reading Psalms 1. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but... His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Let's pray. Father, I pray uh, for a blessing on our time together. Spirit, may you give us insight to your word. May we remember the things you said, Jesus, well, and may they be implanted within us so that we can bear fruit and be like a tree planted next to streams. We love you. In your name, amen. Years ago, I was uh, at a a football practice at Stanford University. I was watching one of uh, my former players just practice, and afterwards, unbeknownst to me, uh, the athletic director said, hey, come on in and have lunch. Well, the athletic director at the time was Bill Walsh. And if you know who Bill Walsh is, he was the uh, football coach for the 49ers through the 80s, won multiple Super Bowls. Basically, I have like a coach crush on this guy. So I go in and I'm actually sitting at the table with Bill. And we have a chance to ask him questions and ask him whatever we want to ask. And there's a few other guys around me and they were going around talking and eating some meal, but I was so excited I couldn't even eat. And I didn't have, I had a pen, but I had no paper. I just wanted to write down everything this guy said, because I just thought he was brilliant. So I'm writing down on a napkin. I couldn't eat. And most guys are just talking about themselves during this time. And finally, they get to me, and Bill's like, hey, do you have any questions for me? And everything kind of went blank in my mind. And I just said, well, Bill, tell me anything that you're thinking about. Tell me, like, your best coaching um, suggestion or your best coaching advice you could give me. This was 2004 and just a couple years before his death. And he said something that was a great surprise to me. He basically said this, people will come to your funeral because of who you are. So be the kind of person and coach that others will want to come to your funeral. Now that was not what I was expecting from a hall of fame football coach. And the whole table was completely silent because we were anticipating the things we wanted to hear, but he communicated something that was way beyond what we could even imagine. Now, the sad part is that Bill passed away just a couple years later. It's quite possible that he knew that time was coming as he passed from cancer, and that the most important thing at that time he wanted to share wasn't about X's and O's and plays, but it was about life and about being the kind of person and I share that story because there's a couple things that I embrace from that memory. One is, how do I show up to listen from somebody who, that I want to learn from? Like, how do I show up? Am I prepared? Am I listening? Or am I already thinking what they should say? And the second thing is that sometimes there are words spoken in the moment, they find greater meaning and truth over time. That right then they don't make the most sense, but over time it's like, man, there's a greater truth there. And when some people realize that they don't have control over their physical life and the physical things around them, they usually start to shift their focus either around what really matters or around the things they can control. But either way, it becomes simpler. But it's not just death, it also goes, often goes through things like just when we go through painful times, life-changing times, disorienting times, kind of like times we're going through a little bit now maybe. On Monday, I asked myself, and sometimes I do this because we're all going through something that none of us have familiarity with. So I said, what would May Dale, what advice would May 11th Dale give February Dale? What would I tell him to prepare for? And of course, there's things to buy and things to prepare for and things to do. But I think the thing I landed on was there are going to be so many voices, some helpful, many not helpful during this time. So make sure you know the voice that rings true no matter what season that we're in. That was kind of a way of passing something that I have now experienced to myself to try to recalibrate. And we see the same kind of passing in Scripture. And as we're talking about biblical literacy, I don't want this just to be like uh, quotes from a movie or a trailer to get you to read it, but I want you to see some how important the truths of Scripture are and the need for us to know them. But we see this transition in between leadership, sometimes in scripture, and the thing they land on over and over and over is knowing God's word. Let me, let me show you this a little bit. Moses was in a transition of leadership as his days just became a few. He brought the children of Israel to the promised land, like right outside, and he knew he wasn't going in. But he wants the Israelites to understand that nothing is more important than knowing God's word and a living according to his commands, that he assures the people their obedience will result in God's blessing. Let let me read some of his words. In Deuteronomy 32, it says this, "'Take to heart the words of the warning I have given you today. Pass them on as a command to your children, so they will obey every word of these instructions.'" These instructions are not empty words. They are your life. By obeying them, you will enjoy a long life in the land you occupy occupy when you cross the Jordan River. And the same happens when there's a transition from Moses to Joshua. God says these things to Joshua to focus him on that which really matters. He says, as I was with Moses, this comes from Joshua chapter 1. So I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. And here's the line. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn, to it, do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always in your lips meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it then you will be prosperous and successful have i not commanded you be strong and courageous do not be afraid do not be discouraged for the lord your god will be with you wherever you go there's in both sides there's like there's god's presence with you as we enter with God's truth into every circumstance. They go hand in hand. We love God's presence, but God's truth in us by knowing his words and knowing the power of them goes with us wherever we go. We see the same kind of imploring in the transition from Paul to Timothy. Second Timothy is the final letter that Paul wrote And in that letter, it's during a time when Nero most likely just burned down Rome and he's blaming the Christians. Paul's in prison and he's passing along his final words to Timothy to keep this going. This was not a great time. This wasn't a time of selling men. It's amazing to be the leader of Jesus' way. But he says a couple of things in that letter. In 2 Timothy 2, he says keep reminding people about these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words that's of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth and avoid godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. And later he goes, As for you, continue in what you have learned to become convinced of. Because you know from those whom you've learned it, and from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. For all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In those three transitions, the core thing was keep God's word at the very center of who you are and you will experience God's presence with truth and not wondering. All of them had no idea what was in front of them, but that understanding of scripture was right and essential. It says really that God's that God breathed these words. In other words, these are very God's very words to us. But let me pull back a bit and give you some tangible things around Scripture. The Bible, in, in a very short sense, it's it's God's story. It's about Him, and it's from Him. A helpful definition just might be this, is that the Bible is a library of books, both divine and human, that tells one unified story that leads us to Jesus, but you have to get the story. It's not just a book filled with uh, advice or like slogans or phrases like those motivational posters, but it's a story of God for us to know him so that we experience him no matter what we are going through. And in the Bible, there's narrative, there's prophecy, there's wisdom, there's letters, there's poetries, there's songs, and all of these lead to Jesus. But it's important to understand real quick what the bigger story of even scripture is so that as you're reading it, you're like, man, this is how it fits. There's the meta story of the story of God. It starts with creation, how God creates something out of nothing. And he says that it's good. But he gave man and women a choice, and that's the fall. And they, ch- they chose to go a different direction than God. And so brokenness entered the world, and a separation from God became one thing that now all humans passed on. But God made a covenant. It's God's promise. It was through a man, through Abraham, that came to a people that was pointing to a Jesus to fulfill it. And sometime later, Jesus does come. He's fully human. He's fully God, and he completes the reunification plan. And because of that, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in the lives of people in the early church. And it's God's life in us. And at the end, there's this restoration back to the intention of what creation already is. That's the meta story of Scripture so that as you read it, you go, man, where am I at in this story? Author Tim Keller gives this um, th- this quote in his book, Counterfeit Gods, to Kind of, you know, give us a mirror of why sometimes we uh, lose our way in Scripture. He, he writes this: the reason for our confusion over the Bible is that we usually read the Bible as a series of disconnected stories, each with a moral for how we should live our lives. It is not this; rather, it comprises a single story, telling us how the human race got into this present condition and how God, through Jesus Christ, has come. And will come to put things right. You see, that's the story. That's Scripture. Now, here's something really important to understand as we look at Scripture. And this is just true for communication. There's a, there's a sender of communication, and there's a receiver of communication. And in order for any communication to be good, it could be between husband and wife, or friend or parent, whatever the relationship is, There's a sender of information, and often it could sometimes take work by the receiver to understand what that person is saying. It's broken communication when one person is saying something, but the receiver just interprets it however they want to interpret it, whatever makes most sense for them. I mean, that would be what happens a lot in raising children sometimes, especially teenagers. As you're communicating, they're like, what I hear you're saying is I can do whatever I want. No, that's not true. But this applies to scripture as well. There is an absolute sender of information. It's God, and it's also the original author, and it's also the people who originally received it, and it's also us. So there's a way of looking at scripture as you're reading it just to go, what can I get out of this versus what is the sender really trying to tell me? What is he trying to say? You see, Ultimately, God is the sender of this information and we're on the receiving end of it. So what kind of work do we need to do to understand what he's having to say and how do you approach it? Now, I opened up the story about a famous football coach and that meant a lot to me, but that may not have meant a lot to you. But so imagine if you're able to sit and have a conversation with someone you deeply admired, respected, and that you knew they had something bigger for you. How would you go into that conversation? It's a lot like that with, with God's word and who God is. But let me give you some really practical, helpful hints. Here we go. As you read scripture, I would ask you to do this in this order. One, ask yourself, what am I reading? Is it poetry? Is it narrative? Is it prophecy? Is it wisdom? Is it what, ask yourself, what am I reading? So at least I understand. So you're not reading poetry like a story or a letter. You're not breaking down the letter into bite-sized pieces, but you're reading it as a whole. The second thing I like to tell people to, to ask is, why did the author write this, the sender? What was his intended meaning? What was the purpose? The third piece is, who was it written to? How would they have understood this letter? So I'm not just jumping in myself. The fourth thing is, what is this saying about God? And then you ask yourself, how do I apply this? So often we read something and we jump, how do I apply this right now? And when we do that, we're being that receiver of information who's like, yeah, 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 whatever you want to say is fine, but this is how how I see it. Take a position that God is the sender of the communication and that we're the receiver and work through that. But the key point here is that in our moments of challenge and temptation, fear or boredom to avoid going through the motion, we need to go to that which is true because it's often very, very simple. Let let me show you something. Earlier in uh, Luke's story, so we know that right now as a church, we're going through the book of Acts a little bit, and prior to that, um, I mean, Luke wrote Acts, but Luke also wrote a gospel about Jesus. And early on in his story, he's talking about this time where the Spirit led Jesus to the wilderness, and Jesus fasted for 40 days. If you're familiar with Scripture, you know this part of the story is around where Jesus gets tempted. tempted. One of the parables says that he was tempted for 40 days. One of the parables, um, one of the writers says that he was in the wilderness and then was tempted either way, 40 days without substance, without food, without comfort, without the things we're used to. That may be a little more drastic than maybe what some of us are experiencing, but you're kind of getting the idea. Because of that, it was an opportune time for Satan to say some things to Jesus. Jesus. So in Luke chapter 4, he starts off by saying this The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus is hungry. And in that moment, Jesus reminds him something that, that he had already said to Moses some thousand plus years before. And it's not just advice, but it's reality, it's truth. So Jesus' response back to him was, You know, man shall not live by bread alone. But then it goes on and the devil says, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give you all the authority over their glory. And for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. Jesus' response was very similar. He's like, man, I've already said what the answer is to that temptation. I told it to Moses. I told it to Samuel. I told it to Isaiah. I told it to Joe. I told it to Hosea. This isn't advice. It's just truth. And this truth is from me. So then he says, you shall worship the Lord your God only. And in him only shall you serve. But the temptation continues. And this is the one that I think we need to take so much careful look at in understanding Scripture. Scripture. Because what Satan actually does in this one, he actually uses scripture to tempt Jesus. And this gives us why it is so important to even interpret scripture correctly. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He said, if you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. And then Satan quotes Psalm 91 with some really bad application but uses scripture to tempt Jesus in a weird way. Satan says, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. This had to be difficult because Jesus knew that, man, these words were originally from my father to the psalmist, and now you're using them against me. But Jesus said, just like I told Moses, the truth is this. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, those aren't just phrases that get you out of a jam. They're not like a special spell. They're truth that permeates all things. And when we know scripture and that kind of truth gets in us, that's what Moses was telling to the people and what God was telling to Joshua and that Paul was telling to Timothy is that a dependency upon this truth and knowing it and knowing God's word and knowing the power of it will help you even during the toughest times to see clearly that which is of benefit for you and that which is not of benefit for you. At the end of the temptation, he says this, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him. And then there's this phrase, until an opportune time what are the opportune times? That's become a question that's been very important to me. And it should be very important to you because scripture tells us that's one of Satan's plans for us is what are the opportune times that I can add to the confusion in this person's life? Sometimes it's when the pressures of everything else moves us away from the core truth. In these moments we react instead of respond. The opportune times when the voices of outside become every bit as important, probably even more important to the truth of God's word. The things that we once learned or we've heard about, we set aside, and the things that are right in front of us become more true. That is a huge opportune time. and No doubt the enemy is going to use that in every way. So biblical literacy isn't just something to acquire knowledge. It's to learn about God. It is God's story, and it's to impart with it to us the power of Scripture, the power of truth that led Moses, that led Joshua, that led David, that led so many people through the Old Testament, and that Jesus came to say, this is what my father is really like, and I'm going to continue to pull back to this truth because my father said it in the first place, and it still is relevant today. Let me close by just sharing this. It's believed... um, that Psalm 119 is a collection potentially of David's thoughts over a lot of period of time. It's the longest Psalm of the Psalms. I think it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's a collection of his thoughts over time. It's it's a Psalm that's really transferring the most important things potentially from him to his son Solomon. Now, the Psalm 119 is written as an acrostic pattern. Um, We know those, like the letter, like sometimes a word, you know, and there's a a letter for each part that spells a word. This is an acrostic pattern of the actual Hebrew alphabet. So there's 22 sections in this psalm. Um, There's 22 units, eight verses each, and each one starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's his way, potentially, of saying, I want you to learn the Hebrew alphabet, saying that is what is important for earthly things and connect it to godly things. So there is this fusion. And a part of this passing on of information and passing on of things to know and connecting truth of God with the kind of everyday things of even the alphabet, and right in the middle of that psalm, David hears from God and passes this truth on to his son. He says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I think the question for all of us, are we picking up the light to see what's in front of us, to bring God's truth into all of this? Like I said earlier, May 11th Dale was giving February Dale some advice. And probably the most important advice, I would say, is make sure the voice of God is loud and clear so it doesn't get lost in all the other voices. And I have found that to be true when we dive into scripture and we see him and we hear it and we meditate on it and we talk about it and it becomes the source of truth even when we're not sure fully what it means, but God uses it in amazing ways. So we've, we've been given this opportunity to sit at the table with God, to have lunch, to hear from him, to hear from him, to see his ways, be changed by his truth, and have his presence with us all along the way. His words are way bigger than our current experience, and his love meets us right where we are in this current experience. So my encouragement for you is to dive in, to grab a friend, do it together. It's here for you. Read scripture, talk about it, pray through it. Ask yourself, where do I see God in this? And then how do I live this out today? It's the kind of gift that's right in front of us. And the more we do, the clearer we hear him each and every day. Let me pray for you. Father, I, I, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this truth that gives us peace that goes beyond understanding. God, I pray the voice we would hear would be yours, that we're not just counting on previous experiences or wondering if it's you, but that we go to your word and read and hear it and that we carry that with us wherever we go. May we meditate on you day and night. May this be the core of who we are as a church and as a world. We love you. We thank you. We give this to you. In your name, amen.